0: Welcome to AWS She Builds Tech Skills with your host, Claire and Andrea. Hello, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to our second episode of AWS She Builds Tech Skills North America. For those of you who were not able to join our last episode, my name is Claire Holly, and I lead a team of solution architects out in the Northeast, specifically New York City. So during our last segment, we actually introduced the whole concept of She bills and how it originated, but we didn't get a chance to tell you a little bit more about North America. So here at North America, we actually have a team. Look, look, we have to move over to the side so you can see them. (laughs) We actually have a team of essays that actually solution architects who will also be hosts. So you won't just be working with Andrea and I. You'll also will also have the pleasure of meeting Candice, Bavisha, Raj, Tamara and Yisra. So our crowd is we are continuing to expand. We have all areas of North America, including the West Coast, East Coast, Central and Canada. So today, we actually have Avisha, and Vavisha is actually going to be our moderator. So therefore, if you have any questions at all, please feel free, to put them in the chat, and she'll definitely be able to address them. So now I'm going to introduce my lovely host, Andrea.
1: Hi, everyone. Nice to meet you again. Uh, we're super, super excited to be here. And uh, so with that said, um, you know, I am a solutions architect leader. I'm based out of New York City and um, you know wanted to kind of just go touch base a little bit about you know how you can um, how you can go and navigate and learn and upskill yourself in cloud technology and i'm sure a lot of our viewers are different stages in their cloud journey um so for those very young people you know think of yourself as you know if you're watching this and you're in the third grade to 12th grade and uh, you look to you know pursue maybe education in the STEM field and you want to get inspired, there's many different ways you can get started. Uh, one of the things that you could do is, um, and we'll make sure Vavisha posts the, the links here on the chat as well, but one of the things you could do is Hour of Code. So for those who wonder, what is Hour of Code? So the Hour of Code is is an, a one-hour-long introduction to computer science, and is really there to design to demystify coding, so, we gamify ways that you can learn how to code. And this is usually an event that is organized through local schools and communities. So, if you say have a local school, right, you can find out and you or you can visit the website and see what the closest location is. If you're a parent or, you know, it's someone who would love to maybe introduce young people in your community to computer science, you can also participate as a volunteer. So, there's more information on how you can do that. Um, The other aspect of it is a similar program called Girls Who Code. And Girls Who Code is is also a a kind of program for for young girls, Um, you know, I would say like third graders to 12th graders, Um, and it's really there to inspire, educate and equip young girls with computer skills to pursue maybe education in the STEM field. And uh, they bring in presenters and speakers, and some of these are you know engineers or developers or executives that come and sort of motivate young girls. If you're a young person watching this, the way you can get participate and, and we make sure Babisha uh, shares this link as well, is um, you can actually sign up for one of their boot camps. It's free of cost, and you know there's lots of different locations that you could register for. Or, you know, if you're someone in the field of technology and you want to participate, you can also participate as a volunteer to deliver these sessions to young people. And then the second part of that is, you know, imagine yourself that, you know, you are someone out in the field that may not have had the background in IT or never touched cloud technology. So you wonder, like, how do I get started? So Amazon Web Services, we ourselves have various different foundational classes that you can uh, register for and you can do uh, for free of cost. And we'll make sure the links are there too. But this is a good starting point. The, the one I'm referring to or the one I'm thinking of is, um, you know, you can become a cloud practitioner. So these are foundational understanding of cloud technology concepts, different services, the te- terminologies to get started. So I think that's a really good, One for those who don't have an IT background or don't necessarily have the cloud experience, and great for executives as well. But for those who are sort of professionals and have dealt with technology, they're in the IT field. A good starting point, uh, specifically learning Amazon and the ecosystem, is the AWS Certified Solutions Architect Associate certification, and that one kind of deals a little bit more about you know the different services that we have, different technologies how you can develop best practice architectures, how you can make sure that they, these architectures follow best practices. There's a bunch of free classes and courses that you can register for as well. And there's exams that you can take. All the training is free. I think for the practitioner and and the associates, the the certifications cost, you know, just, just you could read more about them, but I think depending on where you are, you need to pay for them. So that's to give you a little bit feel for, you know, where do you get started? How do you wrap your head around, you know, educating yourself and getting you up to speed?
0: And I guess one of the questions we kind of want to know from our viewers is, where exactly are you on your cloud journey? I mean, do you mind sharing with us and putting it in the chat so we can understand that? Uh, along those lines too, one of the great things is that, let's say that sometimes we know some people, they have taken off a year or two from work. Uh, AWS actually has a returnship program, in which case you could take off a year, and you can actually go through and actually become a solution architect. So, I mean, there's a lot of great programs you can take a look at. If you're a recent college graduate, they actually have a TechU program. So, again, various opportunities, and we'll definitely share those links in there. Awesome. Great. Um, Any responses, Claire,
1: from from our audience around where they are in the cloud journey? Maybe we could um, take a look.
0: We have an AWS preferred partner. Um, So one of them, oh, Praxma, I'm looking for a career change.
2: Hmm. And
0: you also have um, kids. I have kids as well. I would definitely look at that returnship program. Definitely look into that and see. And we can actually post that link for you. Awesome, so for this session,
1: um, for this episode, um, if you recall, just rewind two weeks from back, back uh, Liz Dennett, who is a VP of Data Architecture and Data Engineering at Wood Mackenzie, walks us through a very interesting use case around using satellite image, images to predict supply and demand of, of liquefied natural gas. And then they track also efficiencies of these compressor trains so what we want to do in this uh, in this episode, is really dive deep into the technology to understand what's behind this. So we are super excited to have Connor Boyle. He's a principal data architect at Wood Mackenzie. Join us to walk us through this architecture. Of Sheville's Tech Skills, um, North America, and I'm here with uh, Claire. Uh, Who is one of my co-hosts, as well as Connor Boyle from Wood Mackenzie. Hi, Connor. Welcome to our show.
2: Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you, and uh, you know, welcome everyone, all the viewers. We're here to dive deep into the technology specific to the discussion we had in our last episode, where Liz walked us through, um, you know, the the kind of the use case called the energy LNG model which essentially um, focuses on predicting supply and demand on liquefied natural gas and how they can drive uh, train, compressor train efficiencies by insights and data and, uh, you know, ways that they can provide that insight to the consumer that they can make decisions on. So what we thought we'd do in this episode is really dive deep into the technology and learn from Connor uh, as to what that entails. But with that said, Connor, you're a principal data architect, Um, and uh, yeah, walk us through kind of what is that role, what does it entail, and also maybe you could talk about what your background is and how that kind of naturally organically brought you to where you are now.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So um, as part of my role, I help the organization to break down data silos and that is done through data architecture-based practices, whilst fostering a culture of data-driven reliability, observability, and automation. I've been passionate about data for a long time. Um, my passion for data actually stems from when I was at high school, all those years ago, although I tell myself it wasn't really that long ago. Um, and back then, there was a question in the, in, in, the, in the course that was on normalization, so some data modeling. And that question was worth the most amount of marks in the exam. So it's something that I actually had to get good at back then to get a, to get a good grade. Um, and then that data career pathway is something I followed through studying information systems at university and then uh, working uh, in, in data roles in, in the workplace. Fantastic. Thank you.
0: So we understand, Connor, that for this LNG model and um, workload, you pretty much leverage a lot of AWS services. Could you walk us through this architecture and tell us a little bit about the process?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So on the right hand side, we've got our external client in the gray there. So the data that we're providing, um, although we're actually capturing images on the left with the satellites, the data that we're providing to the clients is is textual in nature. And that um, contains uh, information, data, sorry, on if the train, so the unit that pulls down the gas is is on or off. so on the left-hand side of our diagram, we've got the satellite and that's, we've got, uh, I think I accessed about four satellites um, and they're orbiting the earth and they're taking images of these, these LNG um, assets that, that we're interested in. And that uh, file, those those files have been saved in an S3 bucket and then some machine learning um, is taking place to process those images and make sense of them so that we can see if those um, trains that are in the LNG plants are on or off. Um, And once that takes place, this gets published to an SNS topic, which we um, consume consume that data from. Um, And uh, so we receive a message. That message contains um, where the location of the file is. um, And that message tells us that that file is ready. And then we go and grab it from that account by um, assuming role.
1: I see. And you said four satellites. Uh, What's the frequency of the data you, you collect? And also, you know, how much data are we talking about?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we we call this data near time. Um, So we get about two images of a plant um, per week. And um, we have about 35 plants that we're capturing at the moment. Um, Now, those plants can have more than one train within them. So an example, Mm -hmm. um, one plant could have six trains. And so the volumes of data that we're capturing here are not massive. um, But I think it makes for a really interesting data set at the same time.
0: Are we leveraging multiple accounts here? Because it's yes, a- that's that's great. Yeah yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, so on the left-hand side, and, and, and that in that um, box, the, the, the bounded context there, we've we've got the account that the, the satellite data is coming into, and then on the right-hand side, we've got where we're doing our, our um, processing of that data um, within with Mac. Um, so we assume role to to grab those uh, to grab those files, and then we process them um, uh, using some st- some lambdas.
1: I see. And you mentioned the uh, SQS, right, some queuing system, simple queuing system. Can you walk us through kind of how does that cross-account connectivity work?
2: Yeah, yeah. So once we um, receive that notification and, you know, we we get that, we then um, trigger a a Lambda to go and grab that file. So we assume role. Um, So we use IAM, we assume role and we hit across um and grab that image and we save that down um in an s3 bucket so we've got the ingestion lambda here um, and uh, once that's saved down we then join that to some of the data that's within our uh, the rest of our data state to enrich that data
1: i see and then on the database side uh, so you grab it you put it in the database walk us through are you combining it with other data sources too or is yeah this...
2: yeah 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 uh, yeah yeah and um, so part of the um part of WIDMAC, uh, the, the benefits of, of Woodmark is the, the vast amount of data that we have, um, and um, that allows us to really enrich the existing products that we have in LNG with this data. Um, so we're joining that to existing uh, data sources that we have for LNG plants, but also some reference data so that we have consistent statuses. Um, we, we receive names um, of the, the LNG trains and the LNG plants um, from the satellite, but we don't want to provide those names to our clients. We want to change them and use the ones that we supply um, in our existing products so that our clients can make sense of the data to so, use. Um, and then after we've enriched that data, we save it down in a, in a Postgres uh, Aurora um, RDS instance.
0: What does your data hygiene process go look like? Because, I mean, you're your pulling it through multiple sources. There must be some type of a uh, transformation that you're getting, that you're putting it into Aurora and then providing it to your end users. What does that hygiene process look like?
2: Yeah, yeah, so we we have some some, some data validation stuff going on. So the easiest um, data validation you can do is a schema. So we have a schema that this aligns to uh, once, it, once we get the, those, that, um, satellite data into our state so that's the first thing that we do the next thing we do is we we check that data so we look at the state to see so is it on or off um or or perhaps it could say it's cloudy or unknown um and if we get a status that we we've never seen before then we flag that and we we pause that data going through the, the rest of the data pipeline and um, just to ensure that our clients are always receiving the highest quality data
1: and then what made you land into sort of using a postgres uh, SQL for, for kind of the,
2: as the main yeah.
1: data, yeah. I guess, database.
2: Yeah, so we went for RDS Aurora um, uh, Postgres. So a couple of reasons for this. Um, one is that it's, uh, Aurora allows us to scale. So as this data grows over time, we can scale. Um, and there may be future satellite analytics products that, w- that we generate and, and and would use this data store. Um, there's also some, uh, this this data also fits this technology um, and also fits the access pattern just with the shape and the characteristics and the frequency um and then there's also a resiliency piece in here as well so this is a multi-availability zone deployment um so that we've got some resiliency baked in there as well
0: it's funny, you touched upon exactly my next question. I mean, resiliency is a big thing for our customers. Everyone wants to understand about yeah. how you them for resiliency, how you architecting for high availability. So um, you mentioned Aurora. Are we using the serverless component of Aurora? Or- yes,
2: yeah, yeah, we're, we're serverless, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, that comes with lots of good reasons. So, you know, maintenance and um, that ability to scale as well through time. Um, and like you said, um, you know, the resiliency is part of the the Well-Architected was one of the pillars of the Well-Architected framework. Um, there's another piece in here on sustainability. So we, we don't want to be using compute in the cloud that we, one, that we we don't want to pay for because we're not using the full extent of the capabilities, and two, it allows us to consider that carbon footprint of that as well, which I know is one of the more recent additions to the, to the pillars in AWS. Mm.
1: Makes sense, and then to close the loop, then how do you present this data, combined data, or I'd say it's normalized, or say um, you know, cleansed data to the consumer?
2: Yeah, so we flatten this data out, and then we provide it to our clients via um, an API. So the data that the clients get um, contains some some observation uh, dates. So when was the you know when is this observation from? What's the status? What's the plan? What is the train? And um, when the next forecasted uh, observation is going to be?
1: I see. How do you secure this environment, Connor? Can you walk us through the security components of it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So everything's encrypted and stored um, at rest and in transit. Um, we've got tight IAM roles here. Um, security is really important, and we also um, use metadata to drive some security policies that we have on our data. So with um, satellite data, you get a truly global perspective, but that can also um, become dangerous because of the extent of the things that you can, the images that you can capture. Um, so we uh, lock that stuff down. Um, we use metadata to say, you know, this file contains data for these countries and these assets. Therefore that has a different set of restrictions and um, just to keep uh, our data safe and our people safe.
0: Got it. What about any type of future enhancements? Are you guys looking towards using uh, machine learning? AI, what do you think about that for this current architecture?
2: Yeah, so we've got some uh, machine learning stuff um, used to, for processing the images, and it's something we consider on the data quality side, um, especially as we think about future products and what they could look like. They may be more complex than on or off statuses, um, and we would want to look at the variability in that data to then trigger if, you know, if, the, if a role needs to be looked at. Um, so it's definitely on the cards uh, for the future.
1: I see. and then also data retention do you store this data yes. for a period of time or do you do you have to kind of get rid of it to make room for new data Can you speak
2: no to we, it? we don't we don't and partly thanks to the the architecture and that ability to scale um but with this data it's important to be able to have that historical data and see the trends through time especially for our clients um, and we're very lucky that you know the terms and conditions of this data allow us to keep that um, there's no PII data or anything going on or any GDPR stuff with this, it's, um, it's, it's a nice piece. Yeah.
0: Wow, well, Connor, this was a lot of information and it was really great. It's, it's nice to see how Wood Mackenzie is definitely innovating and making an impact in the energy space using that LNG modeling. We also was very, it's very interesting to hear how you're leveraging satellite analytics in order to do your transformation for your end users. I mean, we're hoping that when you guys go to your next future state where analytics, we can definitely have you back on to be another guest as well and learn more about some of the other innovating projects that you guys are doing at Wood McKenzie. Wow, that was actually great. Um, I thought that Connor did a great job of going through that whole concept. I know Liz went through explaining what was that business case around the empathetic, the, the empathetic architecture. It will always drive me crazy saying that. <laughs> but I think he did a great job of capturing it. And we kinda wanna dive a little bit deeper on the tech side and get some of your feedback as well. Before we do that, I, Our moderator, Bavisha, she's actually going to share a couple of links about the company. As you can see, Wood Mackenzie is definitely innovating in that satellite energy space. So you definitely want to be, if you're looking for opportunities, we'll be able to share some of those links. We'll also share some of the blog posts that they actually have produced as well. So therefore, keep an eye out in the chat. And if you have any questions, please let us know. In the meantime, Andrea, why don't you tell us a bit about what resonated with you the most from that video?
1: Yeah, hundred um, percent. I, I thought it was really cool to, to hear Connor kind of dive deep into the architecture. What was interesting and stood out to me is the, you know, when they when he said we're using serverless, you know, often you hear a customer using serverless because they wanna eliminate undifferentiated heavy lifting with,
0: um, <coughs> Bless you. Sorry. <laughs> you know it's live. Everybody, it's live. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's not scripted.
1: Yeah. So um, they they use uh, you know undifferentiate, remove undifferentiated heavy lifting. But what, what Connor said this out to me it was you know that they didn't want to use uh, resources that they didn't need because they're mindful of their carbon footprint, reducing you know carbon footprint. I think sustainability is something that we see. Um, brought up in conversations very often. And a lot of CEOs and executives do care about carbon footprint and 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 reducing that, right? So um, I think that was that was what stood out to me, really Claire. And and this, so I posed the same question to you. What what did you find interesting? What what was your takeaway from the conversation?
0: I think the fact that they're mm-hmm. leveraging event driven architectures. And what I mean by that is that we're seeing a trend where a lot of our customers are leveraging utilizing those event-driven architectures and for those of you who are not familiar event-driven architectures they're basically a modern design approach centered around data that describes events so pretty much it's something that happens just think about when you press a button or when you swipe a card and the approach is really to remove that whole monolithic concept right you want to go about decoupling your services and pretty much the great thing about it is that if a service fails the rest will be able to continue so that's the key thing, because that allows you to innovate faster. You're not having to wait on those synchronous responses, which can then take time and create latency. So therefore, it allows our customers now to be, ex- to be able to experiment faster, as well as to be able to get things out to market very quickly. And that's what you can see that what McKinsey is actually doing. They're leveraging that by the whole concept of going from the satellite imagery and then be able to um, modify it do some transformation with it and then provide new content for their customers. So I guess I want to pose that question to the audience. I mean, what exactly resonated with you? Do you mind sharing that information in our chat so we can actually hear?
1: Awesome. So while we wait for the audience to pose their question, I'm super excited to say that we have Liz here in the studio. So Liz, if you can come back on... We met you two weeks ago. Yo, hi, great to see you.
3: Hello, can you hear me okay?
1: Yes, we, we can. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so, so fun
3: fact, it is 1024 at night. I'm actually calling in from Edinburgh, Scotland today. And we had a fantastic day doing an on-site data architecture and data engineering team building event. And tomorrow we get to spend the entire day whiteboarding and I am so, so, so confident. <laughs>
1: that this <laughs> yeah that's fantastic we can't thank you enough for taking time i know you're out traveling for business and you know taking time this late at night but what we wanted to do is we had a couple questions for you and you know someone in your position you know very inspiring right we heard your story your background what i wanted to ask you specifically right you're running a very large team many different you know roles walk us through just from your viewpoint, you know, how do you earn the trust of your technical team? Like what has worked for you? Maybe you could share some some personal stories.
3: Yeah, So that's that's a great question. And the first thing is, trust has to be earned, it can't be given. And that someone once told me that people choose their leaders, they're not told who their leaders are. And it's so so true. A few things that have helped me to earn my trust, especially since, I mean, my, my team is incredible. They can design systems around me all day, every day. One of the big things is showing up with technical knowledge to the table. You both teed up AWS certifications at the top of this event. I have five active certifications right now, including my SA professional. That goes a huge way in helping both build my confidence and earn trust. Even if I'm in a meeting or maybe I'm not being as crisp with my language as I want, or I'm not using the right words necessarily. I do, if you remember from the last episode of a non-tech background, having those as formal credentials under my belt can really help to make sure that whoever I'm talking with, we have a common lexicon and we both know that we've taken and invested the time in learning about the AWS tech stack and can come, to at, it, come at it from the same perspective. Um, the other top tip is honesty. If you don't know something and you you know that you don't know it, don't bluff your way to it and don't fake it. Some of my best mentors I've ever had, even at AWS, have said, listen, technically you can run circles around me and that's awesome. It should be that way. I want to help you and these are the skills I bring to the table. Some of the worst managers I've ever had have tried to talk at me about technology, getting things like... MongoDB and Postgres confused or switched or not even understanding the difference between non-relational and relational databases. So own it, be authentic, fake the confidence till you make it, don't fake your knowledge of technology.
0: Wow. I guess along those lines, because we do have various people joining our stream in, in their career. So what advice would you give to women entering the tech field and anything that you wish you would have known back then that you know now?
3: So many things, a few (laughs) just uh, (laughs) off the top of my head that, that come to mind first and foremost are, um, have confidence in yourself, find a community that you can connect with, whether it's people you connect with at meetups or online or on LinkedIn, whatever that looks like, but find people that let you feel like you can be yourself. For me, one of the the big issues I had was that there aren't a lot of people that look and talk and act like me. And even at work, sometimes I show up and I have to code shift. There are stories I'm not sure, like, is this a work appropriate story? Can I tell this? We actually just had a happy hour tonight. And one of the stories I even led with, I'm not sure if this is a story that this is the correct audience for, It isn't anything to do with me and my behavior. It's something that happened to me. However, in the sake of vulnerability and sharing this experience, I want to err on the side of sharing it. How you make those lines and determine that is something that you just have to earn by trial and error and experiment with. And finding people that you can have those experiences with and have that emotional vulnerability and psychological safety is a huge, huge place. Um, Another big thing is... I'm asked a lot about how I combat biases in the tech industry. And we could probably talk for hours and hours and hours, both about our unique experiences, probably some of our shared experience, and also what is out there in the primary literature. I'm, I'm by no means an expert, but the first thing you can do is get educated. If you're, however you identify, if you're male, female, whatever your, your gender, your sexual orientation is, wherever you come from, Get educated about the, the research and the data that's out there, about the just statistics, about how much people make, how likely people are to be promoted, about unconscious bias, about subconscious bias, about all of the things that systematically work for and against other people, just so you can check your own bias. And even if it's something that maybe doesn't represent, doesn't necessarily impact you, you can know ways to be more of an ally. Um, I have found that also helps because then when you see behaviors that are good or are helpful, you can call them out. There was a specific example with someone on my team where I called them out for being an ally and they were like, what do you mean? I'm not an ally. And I specifically called out one or two things they had done that were like champion allyship and they weren't even aware of it. But making the space to call them out and celebrate them, especially within a larger team commitment can also help and be a good good harbinger of the behaviors that we should, we should be celebrating as a community. Yeah.
0: No, that's great. I mean, for our audience, do you guys have any questions for Liz? In parallel, what we would like to do is we also want to see who's been paying attention, right? Here goes the moment. Question of the day. That's what we call it. Question of the day. All right. So today's question is going to be, can you tell us at least um, three steps of the serverless services that was utilized in the solution that was provided by connor so again can you tell us at least three of the serverless services that were utilized in the architecture that connor presented ah perfect and Pavisha already beat me to the punch you already typed it in the slack thank you so much Pavisha. so while we're waiting on that i think we have some additional questions. <laughs> right, Andrea?
1: Yes. Um, I think, you know, I could certainly, unless there's anything on the chat, we can uh, continue on. So I say, um, there's one question I have for you. I know we haven't scripted this, so you don't know what I'm going to ask you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when, when you look for, say, a data engineer or principal architect or you know senior architect like what what are some skills that you're looking for? You know, just kind of give us a little bit about and you know, what are you looking for from, from a potential candidate that you could potentially hire for your team. Okay. Great
3: question. The number one thing is curiosity and the ability to teach themselves new skill sets. The ability to have examples of how they've had to connect separate pieces of information. They've had to bring separate stakeholders together. They've had to clear a path where there isn't a clear line forward. Mm -hmm. Notice that these are not knowledge of the AWS technology stack, a track record of being a data architect for the past five or 10 years. Those things are great. They're nice to haves, but someone that has an intuition for the data that knows how to build systems, but that really has that fuel and that fire and that natural curiosity and is willing to just kindle that. Um, the AWS leadership principles, for example, are a really, really solid example of how if you have those principles as your North star, that lean and learn and be curious one, for instance.
0: I was just thinking that.
3: Yeah, we're AWS. <laughs> we see sparks in everyone and that's something that we have shamelessly borrowed yeah. because someone in the comment too mentioned that, hard work isn't always the answer. And hard work is not always the answer, but curiosity and wanting to learn more, 98% of the time is the answer. And if if you're not willing to teach yourself new things and to learn new things, then that's something that you cannot teach.
1: That's great advice uh, or inputs. And that's awesome. Thank you. Um, um,
3: also. While you we were talking, this made me think, when I was at AWS, I actually wrote a blog post about slaying imposter syndrome with AWS certifications about my journey to try to get my SA professional certification coming from a non-tech background in like three months. I got it, it was a brutal journey. I'll post that in the chat though. It has some tips and tricks that might help if you're looking at
0: getting great. some certifications. That's fantastic. No, that's excellent, that's
1: excellent. That's so I think a uh, we have a lot of great answers and uh, Bavisha, hold us honest here. I don't know who posted
0: neither do I. <laughs> we have a winner. <laughs> we have a winner. That's actually great. And what you actually win is a twenty-five dollar uh, credit for AWS. So Bavisha can actually slack you. And I said slack you. Ha! Huh? Look at me. It's <laughs> been a long day, everybody. A very long day. But pretty much. Or on Twitch, Ravisha will be able to put um, private message you and give you the information. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you so much. I, I hope I pronounced that correctly.
1: But uh, congratulations. Great. I think, you know, for, for most people here, I think they got it right. It's a matter of just being quick. Right. Um, so that's awesome. So with that said, um, Liz, as we wrap up, any final advice, suggestions, anything you want to pass on to the to so the viewers. Jump in there.
3: Don't be afraid to just go in there, make mistakes, fail, interview, apply, rinse and repeat, do it again and again. There's not one road that looks the same for everyone. Don't let perfect get in the way of good or what your journey looks like. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch on to is one of the one of the questions that we may or may not have scripted is there was one about if I ever struggle with confidence. And that is something that um, just reflecting on that, the answer is absolutely a 1000% yes. Every individual I know that's doing anything challenging and hard in the tech space struggles with confidence. It ebbs and flows, there's seasons with more, there are seasons with less. And so if you're out there, and you're feeling massive imposter syndrome, or you're feeling like things are just not coming together, you are absolutely not alone. it's something that I've I struggle with all of the time, more than you probably know, and I reckon that the vast majority of us do. So in a moment of authenticity, I just wanted to call that out before we hang up as well.
0: Yeah, thanks for those wise words. Um, and you know, that's that's I'm glad you mentioned that, Liz, because, you know, that's often a big thing here that oftentimes people, especially women, they also feel that imposter syndrome. And it's great to hear that someone, especially of your stature and your journey, also has that as well. So it's great. Thank you for sharing that with our viewers. Awesome. Yeah. Like
3: I and you think like, oh, as soon as I make it to AWS or I get hired, I'll make it. Then I'll know that I make it and I'll feel like, and you make it. I made it to AWS and was like, wow. So now I'm just an imposter with people with bars this much better. And then like you get in there, you go through the promotion cycle. And like even if you pull through, you're like, well, I managed to fool everyone and now I'm like the worst of this class. And it it can definitely be a self-perpetuating feedback cycle. Um, and even every time you take on a new challenge, take on a new role, even thinking about taking on a new role, if you're not scared, right, one of my, my things is if you're not scared, you're not doing something worthwhile. But with that comes ability to, to have your, have a pep talk and figure out how you talk yourself out, Uh, uh, talk yourself down from that cliff.
0: (laughs) And I was just about to say, you know, the, the great thing when we think about the imposter syndrome is that we feel it. But other people will show you that you're not an imposter because they are they can see the greatness in you. But sometimes you don't see the greatness in yourself. So it's always great to have those additional people by you that are your champions that will always give you that feedback to let let you realize that, no, you are amazing and you're doing what you're supposed to do here. So great. Thank you. Awesome. I actually
3: recorded a podcast on this. I'll post that in the comments too, just oh, about picking careers, some about um, additional stuff about my journey and some more tips that may or may not help. Your mileage may vary, as we love to say at the AWS sphere.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Liz. Um, so just kind of a teaser for next time, guys. Our next episode is going to be aired on November 29th. We're going to be at reInvent, which is a AWS annual event that occurs in Las Vegas. And we're going to air live um, on that Tuesday. I think 11th, um, what is it? November 29th is a Tuesday. So we're going to be there with our um, kind of global team. She builds tech skills, global team. Liz, we see you at reInvent as well. I know we're going to, I'll talk to you backstage, looking forward to it. But with that said, I just want to thank you, Connor, with McKenzie for being part of this and for sharing your true amazing journey, leveraging technology to do very innovative things in the energy space. So I can't thank you enough. And I wanted to thank everyone who've had uh, the opportunity to watch these series. Um, Those who've dialed in today, we truly appreciate it. And we hope to see you on November 29th. Awesome. So with that said, uh, have a great rest of your day, wherever you are. And we talk to you soon and see you soon.
0: Take care, everyone. Thank you.